wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Man, I can't tell you how cool it was. To hear Cult of Personality again on a WWE-related program for the first time in what? Five and a half years? Six years? Really since the Royal Rumble in 2014, which would have been January, and we're mid-November right now, so approximately six years. But I guess you could say since that episode of Raw in early March 2014, when they played his music and Paul Heyman came out instead in Chicago. Other than that, though, since the Royal Rumble in January of 2014, almost six years ago, since we have last heard Cult of Personality on a WWE-related show. And on Tuesday, we heard it again when CM Punk after all the rumors and speculation, officially joined WWE backstage on Fox. Now, let it be known right out of the gate, as most of you are probably already aware, this is not a deal with WWE. Not that it doesn't have anything to do with WWE, because obviously the show is talking about WWE, and has WWE personalities on the show, including Renee Young, Booker T, Christian, and a few others. Um, but this is not a deal that he signed with WWE. So just because we saw him on Tuesday doesn't necessarily will mean doesn't necessarily mean we'll see him back on Raw next week or at Survivor Series in Chicago in a few weeks, which I'll get I'll get to that momentarily. But it is cool being the longtime CM Punk fan that I am, very well documented. I'm a big big Punk fan, always have been, always will be. Um, even though many people jumped off that bandwagon. Years ago, after the podcast he put out and after he quit the WWE, and I don't really, you know, necessarily agree in which the way he went about it, and not not more so the podcasting, but really the, you know, the way that he, the approach that he took in exiting the company. Um, I may not agree with every aspect of his departure, but overall, though, I am a big CM Punk fan. Got the chance to meet him back in August at All Out Weekend over AEW's All Out Weekend with Alexis. And he is, hands down, far and away, right up there with Matt Hardy, if not surpassing Matt, but probably, maybe, I mean, I've met Matt about five or six times now, and he's been amazing every single time. CM Punk, though, is probably a very close second in terms of coolest wrestler experience I've ever had, like, meeting a wrestler experience I've ever had. Uh, He was that cool when we we met him back in August. But uh, the timing could not have worked out any better. Because that was only, what, two and a half months ago? And then he returns to a WWE-related show less than three months after that. Um, I thought this was awesome, though. Um, I was really happy to see him on Tuesday. I did not watch the show live, so I went to bed on Tuesday night. And I don't really watch backstage. I caught a few clips of the, you know, the first few episodes on Fox about a month ago. I caught maybe 10 minutes of the premiere on uh, FS1 last week. But um, after I saw the rating bombed, and I didn't really see anything notable come out of the show, aside from the news that Randy Orton re-signed, which was nothing new, because that had already the news had already broke, I think, earlier on in the day. So the fact that it was the news broke again on, on, on backstage didn't really mean anything to me. So I didn't watch the show, didn't tune in. Wake up to a flood of texts, 
uh, tweets and DMs from people saying, hey, CM Punk is back. And I proceeded to freak the fuck out as the CM Punk mark that I am. Uh, Very happy to see him. I thought the return was very well done. And honestly, for anyone saying this was underwhelming or this was a letdown compared to what could have been with him coming out in an episode of Raw, pomp and circumstance, huge reaction to cult of personality in the main event of WrestleMania, you know, that's not who Punk is. You know, I think it's very, it should be very well documented that Punk is the type of person that wants nothing more than a return under the radar, which is why, reportedly, um, apparently, he did a lot of those run-ins at indie shows with a mask on in Chicago, near Chicago. I think one was in Milwaukee, um, was a Silas Young run show, and even Silas Young said it was CM Punk, despite never actually seeing him without the mask on. It was Punk who showed up, did the spot, and left, and that was earlier this year. He did another indie spot, maybe about three, four years ago, that people thought was him. In retrospect, it was him, regardless of what whether that was him or not. Um, it's very obvious that Punk is in a much better place now than he was, I would say, even a year or two ago. Whenever he was asked about wrestling and interviews, whenever he was promoting UFC and stuff like that, I mean, obviously, you want the full focus of your interviews and media to be on what you're doing in that moment, especially if it's something like UFC. Why would you want people comparing it to WWE, bringing up bad feelings? And even at that point, even over a year ago, he was in court with the WWE, something I don't think I've seen a lot of people bring up and all the buzz about CM Punk coming back, so to speak, in the last few days, is the fact that he was in a lawsuit with this very company no more than a year and a half ago that extended from late 2014, early 2015, through the summer of 2018. And the guy cost himself a lot of relationships, a lot of friendships with people inside the company, outside the company. Uh, Colt Cabana. Colt Cabana is a perfect example of a guy that was very close with Punk, for many, many years, and that podcast was really what kind of, you know, broke their friendship apart, and then they kind of reconnected, it looked like, at the lawsuit when they came on the same page to uh, beat WWE, or specifically Chris Amon in that lawsuit, and then I guess the friendship deteriorated soon after that, but nonetheless, though, um, you know, it's cool to see him back, kind of, not really, in the good graces of WWE, because obviously WWE had to give their blessing to Fox in order to bring in CM Punk. Um, He had done the audition about a month or two ago, a while ago. He had even said, you know, it went well, but nothing came out of it, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, he even admitted as such. He even admitted as such in a video that was posted on late, late Tuesday, or late Wednesday, rather, on the Fox YouTube channel, whatever, when he was like, oh, I don't have to lie anymore. And Renee Young said the exact same thing because I guess they've had to lie to the media. They've had to lie to the media for weeks now about CM Punk being involved in this thing. And just when people thought that he was down and out, that he wasn't going to be part of the show, they weren't going to bring him in, which is what I thought, just because, I mean, why would they? I mean, the guy was very well, you know, very much against WWE for so long, talking shit about them every chance he got. Didn't really, has yet to watch wrestling since he left. Um, Has largely been out of the wrestling bubble, aside from being a big name. Why would WWE give them the blessing to bring in CM Punk? Um, Aside from, you know, just to bring in ratings and whatnot, which is obviously a big part of it. But the guy has not had any relationship with WWE for so long now that it would have been a weird move. I've been saying for weeks that I, I think it'd be weird to bring in CM Punk only to see him shell out WWE as part of this backstage show. Now, I'm not really sure how much influence WWE has on the show. Obviously, with certain news that they break, 
Um, they do, like with the re-signings and shit like that. I'm sure they get intel from people inside of WWE. Like, Ryan Satin isn't going out and doing his own journalism here when they're working with WWE on a lot of these stories. For example, you heard no mention of Sin Cara, you know, asking for his release on Backstage on Tuesday. Um, that news broke on early Monday that the guy requested his release, and I'll get to that momentarily too, and that was nowhere to be discussed. That was nowhere, That news was nowhere to be seen on Backstage on Tuesday. So again, I don't think they're covering that type of stuff. I don't expect them to. I get it. Um, but Punk, it's going to be very interesting to see what his role will be on this show. Um, is he going to be allowed to be honest? Will he allow to be himself? Will he be out there saying, you know, oh, that was cool, like, I don't know any of these guys because I haven't watched wrestling in so long, like, we don't know, we don't really know what role he'll have on this show, but we do know he'll be back next week, and he will be back, not every week after that, but he will be brought back as some sort of special contributor on the show as an analyst uh, for the WWE product, so again, it's, I'm very excited to see how this is handled, if they will give him a live mic, let him speak his mind on the current product, I'm sure he won't shit on it, but what I'm saying is, and this has been my biggest concern about Punk's involvement with the show from the get-go, is that if we have an angle, like what we saw on Monday's Raw with Lana, Rusev, and Bobby Lashley, that was as atrocious as it was. And again, I don't watch the show, so I can't really say from experience whether they do this or not. As far as I know, I don't think they do um, in terms of shitting on WWE storylines when it deserves to be chat on. Um, stuff like that should not be praised. I mean, I'm sure they haven't even brought it up, to be honest with you. From what I've seen, they really just kind of discuss news behind the scenes stuff. Johnny Gargano's injury update that he can't compete at TakeOver weekend in a few weeks, which sucks. Um, but stuff like that, I would assume, is what they're getting at with this show. Um, and if so, Punk might be a good fit for it. I guess we'll soon see. If nothing else, the rating should be a lot higher than what it's been for the last two weeks. Um, they pulled in 49,000 viewers for that Tuesday show, that premiere edition of Backstage last Tuesday, which is in a fucking atrocious number. Now, I know they don't bring in the same amount of people that Fox does for SmackDown, but SmackDown, when people were all up in arms about the SmackDown rating on FS1 a few weeks ago, that even brought in over 800,000, nearly 900,000 viewers. So if a show like that can bring in nearly a million viewers... Surely a backstage show with enough promotion and hype and buzz around it can do at least half of that, not a fucking eighth of it, you know? So we'll see how it ends up, how it plays out. Um, they did 100,000 viewers this week, and that was with the hype of Adam Cole being on the show, Mick Foley being on the show, and a few others. And again, I didn't watch the show. I really had no desire to watch the show. It seems like more WWE propaganda. Um, but if Punk will be a part of it, as he has been confirmed to be, uh, starting next week, I am very excited to see how it's handled. So again, I thought the return, so to speak, if you can even really call it that, was really cool. You know, it's not like they announced them for backstage in a fucking commercial. Like, that would have been underwhelming. Like, how do you bring back one of the greatest superstars of the last 10, 15 years um, in, a, in a commercial or a vignette or a press release online? No. They brought him out with the theme music on the show, the lights blaring, you know, no one knew except for Renee Young. The reactions from Adam Cole, Samoa Joe, Paige, and Booker T were priceless. They were priceless, and it was great. I, I watched the video back, you know, no less than a dozen, you know, two dozen times, and it was uh, it was really cool to see all the smiles on their faces and Punk seemingly very happy to be back 
within the confines of somewhat of a squared circle. It wasn't a real ring. Um, but still, though, just to see him back in WWE at all um, in any capacity was very cool. So again, Survivor Series, a couple weeks, not even coming up next weekend, which we will be breaking out next Thursday right here on the podcast with the one and only Mr. Marceau, as always, joining me for the uh, pay-per-view panels, uh, the pay-per-view prediction panel, as we break down not only Survivor Series, but also NXT TakeOver War Games 3. That'll be airing that same Saturday uh, on that weekend of Survivor Series. So he'll be on the show next week. But speaking of Survivor Series, the weekend will be taking place, will be emanating from Punk's native Chicago. Will he appear on the pay-per-view? Do not get your hopes up. Just because he came back on backstage doesn't mean that he'll be on the show um, you know, that he'll be on Survivor Series. I don't expect him to be at Survivor Series. I don't expect him to be at the Royal Rumble. I don't expect him to be at WrestleMania, to be honest with you. Not to say that he'll never return to WWE. I do think it's really more a matter of when than if, but I do think it's more a matter of how many months will it take. And I don't think it's going to be in a matter of months. I don't think it's going to be that short of a time span that he comes back to WWE. Um, Goldberg, it took about six months, if you can recall. Goldberg was announced as part of the... I mean, again, this is different. It's, it's 2K and not and not Fox, but it's kind of a similar situation like with the Ultimate Warrior. And Warrior didn't wrestle another match. But um, Warrior was announced for the WWE video game in the summer of 2013, I think, for 2K14, I want to say. But he wasn't brought back into the WWE family until he was uh, you know, announced as the inductee into the Hall of Fame in January of 2014, a full six months later. Goldberg was announced as part of the 2K WWE uh, 2K17 video game, maybe it was, because this happened in 2016, so it must have been 2K17. He was announced as part of that. I mean, he was a part of other video games a few years before that in like, you know, 2013, 2014. But he was announced as the downloadable character, one of the cover superstars for 2K17 in May of 2016. And people thought, oh, maybe he'll be back for the brand split or he'll be back for SummerSlam. And he wasn't. Um, he wasn't brought back until October, October, November. So with stuff like this, um, I do think it will take time for Punk to be back in the WWE family. It may be years, but if nothing else, it's a step in the right direction. And that's really all I care about as a CM Punk fan, as a fan of his, as someone who would love to see him get back in the ring. It's not something he needs to do. I mean, on his record, the last match he ever had, I'm sure he doesn't give a shit, was that terrible, terrible, terrible Royal Rumble match in January of 2014. Now, he may be in a place where he doesn't want to let his fans down, doesn't want to let himself down, get all these lofty expectations set up for him, only to disappoint when he gets back in the ring eventually. I'm sure that's kind of going through his mind. Um, I think he would do just fine. I mean, I'm sure the match wouldn't be an instant classic, but just to see one more CM Punk match, it's not like the guy's 50 years old. He's still in very good shape from what I've seen. He did the UFC thing a couple years ago. It didn't work out. The effort was there. He tried, and that's all I really care about again. Um, but with Punk, though, I do think one more match is not inevitable, but it's very likely now. A lot likelier than it would have been even a year ago. Now that the build, now that the uh, bridge, so to speak, is beginning to be built again between Punk and WWE. 
So we will soon see what happens with Punk in the company. I'm very excited. Um, again, as a Punk fan, as a WWE fan, I don't think it will happen at Survivor Series. The timing could not be worse just because you know for a fact that when he doesn't show up on that show, and we've had Punk chants at WWE shows for years. That was at WrestleMania weekend when that main event bombed between The Bar and Seth Rollins and Kofi Kingston. We got a lot of CM Punk chants that night, okay? And I'm not a big fan of the CM Punk chants just because... They don't serve a purpose. They're not necessary. The guy's not coming back, okay? I mean, I guess he could be coming back now, but they will be more prominent than ever starting next, you know, at, you know, at, maybe as soon as next week, as soon as SmackDown on Friday. I guess we'll have to find out. Um, but I would say in Chicago at Survivor Series, the guy announces he's joining backstage two weeks earlier, probably as a result of those awful ratings from the week before. Why else would they bring him in? Not for the, why else wouldn't they bring him in for the um, debut show? He should have been a part of that first episode, not this fucking, not the second episode, which was better than nothing, of course. But you would really think if they really wanted to make a splash with that show, they would have you know, brought him in for that premiere edition and not waited until the following week. But they did that because the rating bombed for that first show and they wanted to bring in ratings, so they signed CM Punk. Um, it's a very logical move. But anyway, when he doesn't show up at Survivor Series, you know the chance will break out of CM Punk all night long. And it sucks because honestly, this show looks really good on paper between, you know, the three-way women's match. Shayna Baszler, Becky Lynch, and Bailey. That looks like a great match. Daniel Bryan versus probably The Fiend for the Universal Championship, has potential. Brock Lesnar versus Rey Mysterio for the WWE title, I think has been very well built up so far. I'm looking forward to that. Um, the men's tag team match, Team Raw, Team SmackDown, Team NXT, which I think Raw's team will consist of Seth Rollins. Uh, we have Rollins, Owens, who else? I, I, would, I should have the teams in front of me, but I know it's Rollins, Owens, it's... Other people that Rollins I know has an issue with. I know SmackDown's team consists of it's um, Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, Baron Corbin, Chad Gable, none of this fucking Shorty G shit, Chad Gable, and Mustafa Ali, who got his name back, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Mustafa Ali is back, which is cool. Uh, team Raw, honestly, I don't even know. Oh, actually, I do know. It's Randy Orton, Ricochet, Rollins, Kevin Owens, and someone else from the Raw roster I'm not thinking of right now. Um, then Team NXT, that is yet to be announced. So we have that match, which looks really good on paper. That three-way they announced on Monday's Raw between AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Roderick Strong has potential show stealer written all over it. So again, it honestly, on paper, looks like a really good show. But if the full focus is going to be on CM Punk, honestly, if I was WWE to shut that shit down, either you bring him in, to sit in the crowd and watch from the audience, which I'm not sure he would want to do just yet, but it's, you know, it's it's an offer. Um, and Punk has even said that he's not going to be the one to make that call to WWE, asking them if he can come back. It has to come from Triple H or Vince or a higher up in the company. Um, it has to come from one of them. Again, I'm not expecting this, but to shut that shit down, you have him either in the audience, which would be amazing, or probably more appropriately, you have a heel come out, say that, hey, he's not on the show, get over it, but you can watch him on Backstage this Tuesday. That's all you got to say. Like, no more of this petty Stephanie shit where Stephanie goes out there and shuts the chance down by saying, oh, those chants uh, ran quicker than his loss at the UFC, blah, 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 which was so shitty. I mean, it was kind of funny, to be honest with you. It was a pretty good burn um, back in 2016 when she said that shit. 
But still, I mean, you can't be that petty um, to keep doing that every single time you're in Chicago. So um, I would hope that they'll do something along those lines instead. And uh, if he does come back to the ring, which again is not a given, I would love to see it. I don't think it's a you know a definite, but the guy is an amazing talker. He's a great personality. Uh, no pun intended with the whole cult of personality tie in there. He doesn't need to wrestle. He doesn't need to wrestle. I think this is a great gig for CM Punk. If he's allowed to be himself, this is something I'm really glad that he got because he can just go out there, be himself, talk shit or praise it, whatever. Just be himself, have fun, and then go home. Go home and watch hockey on his couch with his wife and his dog. Like, that's all this guy's got to do. Uh, promote his movie and, you know, go watch Cubs games and stuff like that. The, that, that that's the life for CM Punk right now, and I think that's pretty freaking cool. Um, he doesn't have to go out there on the road every single fucking week with WWE. Like, I'm sure that was kind of a turnoff. I had read some report from Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that uh, CM Punk actually met with Tony Khan of AEW, and he offered him a lot of money to come in, and he turned it down. So... To their credit, AEW, none of this fucking phone shit where they're texting offers and Cody tried to turn, you know, tried to, uh, you know, uh, say that he didn't and all this other nonsense, which obviously, you know, he did. I don't, I, I don't doubt that for a second. That's exactly what happened. Um, I do think Punk is telling the truth in that case. But then Tony Khan saw that, wanted to make up for it, took business into his own hands, met with CM Punk, gave him an offer, and he turned it down. Uh, and I, if I'm Punk and Fox is offering me just as much, if not more money to come in once a week to not even wrestle, but just talk, then why wouldn't you do that? You know what I mean? Like, why would he go to AEW to wrestle when it's not even, when he's not even sure that's something that's, you know, really where he, where his head is at right now? If he's not really sure if that's something he's fully comfortable with, why would you do that when you could just sit in a fucking studio for an hour, shoot the shit about WWE and wrestling, something you really haven't had the chance to, to do for a while, get your feet wet again within the wrestling realm, and then maybe entertain the idea of an in-ring return. You know, um, I think that's a lot more logical of a choice, so I don't really blame him at all for choosing backstage over AEW if the reports are to be believed. Uh, but again, I've been going on for about this for way too long now, almost 20 minutes. <laughs> but uh, uh, I haven't even said the name of the show. It's WrestleRant Radio, by the way. I'm Graham G.S. and Matthews for November 14th, 2019, if you're still tuned in here. Um, I apologize for the long delay of the intro, but you could probably tell I'm very excited that CM Punk is back in WWE, and it was only five years ago that this guy went out there, not went out there, but, you know, he did that podcast with Cole Cabana that I mentioned earlier, you know, just completely shitting on the WWE um, that caused such a shitstorm for so long, and that bad blood, again, I'm sure is still there with the firing on his wedding day and all the, you know, the way they treated him towards the end there and all that other stuff. I'm sure that bad blood is still very much, you know, in existence. Um, probably not as much as it would have been a few years ago, as, as you know, now as it would have been five years ago. But it's cool to see him back, nonetheless. So we'll see how it ends up. Matches I would like to see with CM Punk if it was to become a possibility. Him and AJ Styles, to me, has always been a, a dream match. Two top guys in their prime, in their respective companies. CM Punk, the face of WWE for so long. Not the face of WWE. I think AJ Styles and John Cena was a bigger dream match than Punk and Styles. But in the ring, eight, nine years ago, probably would have been an amazing match. In 2020, I'm not so sure. But it is a fun match to think about nonetheless. Um, any match involving Punk, I would want to say. Him and Samoa Joe rekindling that rivalry from Ring of Honor years ago. Him and Daniel Bryan again rekindling that rivalry, not only from Ring of Honor, but even WWE. 
when they had that awesome series of matches back in 2012 over the WWE Championship. Some of the best matches Punk ever had in WWE. Uh, you know, that's a possibility. You know, I know Shane was doing the whole best in the world nonsense. Obviously not. Uh, that's not really a match that I would want to say. Um, but you have that, and, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of possibilities for matches that I would be excited for. Him and Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle, given his UFC background and Punk having just done UFC. I was thinking about this just yesterday, not that this would be a possibility, just because I'm not, I'm not sure he would want to take the beating, but him and Brock Lesnar part two, because that SummerSlam match in 2013, even when Punk was kind of on his way out and his body was hurting him and he was in a lot of pain, even that match was, if not the best match of his career, one of the best. Probably the Cena match, just for all the buzz that it had at Money in the Bank 2011, would be the best match in Punk's career. But that Brock match at SummerSlam 2013 is a very close second. Um, that match was amazing. Probably my favorite match from 2013 was that match with him and uh, him and Brock Lesnar. So to rekindle that rivalry, maybe Punk is the one to take the title from Brock Lesnar. Like again, I'm 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 jumping to conclusions here, but could you imagine that uh, Punk returns to the Raw and is the one to beat Brock for that belt at WrestleMania 36? That's a fantasy booking scenario, I know, um, but you know, just an idea. And again, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, just because I know it's a very small chance he gets back in the ring. And I said on this very show five years ago, when talking about CM Punk's departure from the company. Um, you know, him leaving and all this other stuff. What did I think about him ever coming back at some point? I always said that he would be back eventually, but not in the ring. I didn't think it would be honestly this soon. I know it would be, I didn't think it would be, you know, a hundred years, but uh, I thought it would be at least 10. Like it took Ultimate Warrior 18 years to return to the WWE. Punk, it took only six. When you really think about it, there are people that have been gone longer than Punk, uh, like a Bret Hart who was gone from WWE for so long, but you didn't hear Bret Hart chants every fucking show that you that you had in WWE. Obviously, it was a different time period, but you know people thought it would have been cool to see Bret Hart back in WWE. I'm sure people weren't clamoring for it the way they have been for CM Punk for so long. You know, Bret Hart came back after what fucking 12 years, um, 12, 13 years. Kevin Ash was gone from WWE for a lot longer than CM Punk. But CM Punk, it feels different just because we have not seen Punk in wrestling at all since he left WWE in 2014. Yeah, he did the UFC thing, but it's not wrestling. It's not his bread and butter, you know? It's not what brought him to the dance. And he tried at that. Again, he wasn't that great, but it's just not what his body and really not what he was... That That's not his true calling. I mean, he tried it, and I give him a lot of props. Um, and I, you know, I thought he put a lot of effort into getting himself in shape and getting prepared for those two fights. He didn't do too well, but again, he tried, and that's all you can really ask for from the guy, you know? Um, but anyway, you know, he's only really been gone for six years. Kevin Ash, Bret Hart. I mean, Kevin Ash and Bret Hart, two very different superstars, but uh, Ultimate Warrior, all gone for a lot longer than Punk, but all of those guys all wrestled after they left WWE. Bret Hart, Nash, uh, Warrior, all went to either WCW or... Um, TNA or whatever after leaving WWE. Punk has not gone to Impact. He hasn't gone back to Ring of Honor. He hasn't gone back to New Japan. He hasn't gone to AEW. He, he hasn't done anything wrestling related. So that's why people, I think it's such a big deal to see him back talking about wrestling at all. Just to get his thoughts on the current product compared to what it was when he was in his prime at his peak, you know, eight, nine years ago. So I'm excited. I'm a Punk fan. I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. And I will absolutely be tuning in next Tuesday to see what he has to say on WWE Backstage. But again, guys, we just spent the full first half of this show talking about CM Punk. That's how big of a news item it was for Punk to be back in WWE. 
Um, real quickly though, this was kind of you know uh, lost in the shuffle this week with all the you know all the punk talk. There's been a lot of stuff that happened. It was actually a pretty good week in wrestling between um, Full Gear on Saturday and two really good episodes of Full Gear, of uh, AEW Dynamite, excuse me, and NXT on Wednesday night. Uh, two very good shows. Thoroughly enjoyed them both. And also we had the news on Monday morning, as I mentioned earlier, that Sin Cara has requested his release from WWE. Now, honestly, I'm not even gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you. I completely forgot about this until it just popped up in my head while talking about CM Punk 10 minutes ago. Um, it was kind of a hot story for five minutes on Monday morning. People forgot about it. He wrestled on Raw that night in a show that was taped on Friday in Manchester after SmackDown. He lost to Drew McIntyre in a matter of minutes. And I assume that we will not see him again um, on WWE TV a lot like we haven't seen Mike Kanellis. And yeah, Luke Harper eventually came back, but I mean, that was kind of a different story. I don't think his contract is up for a while. Mike Kanellis' contract also is not up for a while, but I'm not sure what his story is. But if they have yet to release Mike Kanellis, who honestly, let's be fair here, is not going to be a real asset to any company he joins. I'm a big Mike Kanellis fan. I'm a big Mike, uh, I'm a big Mike Bennett fan. But the guy is not going to be a game changer in AEW or Impact or Ring of Honor if he was to leave. So if they're not going to grant him his release, then I highly doubt that Sin Cara is going to get his release as well. He publicly had announced on Monday morning via his Twitter page that he had requested his release after, you know, he, he feels that in, you know, per the statement he put out, that his talent and effort and athleticism is not... Um, appreciated by WWE, despite all the hard year, all the years of hard work he's put in, and you know he stuck around thinking that he would, um, you know, get recognized for his efforts. And obviously he hasn't been. And it's weird because he's had more TV time in the last month alone than he ever has at any other point. I would say in the last five years, at least since the Lucha Bros broke up um, in the summer of 2000, not the Lucha Bros, I'm getting them mixed up with fucking Pentagon and Phoenix, I meant to say the Lucha Dragons, when he and Phoenix, or, uh, he and, he and Kalisto, I'm getting my Lucha doors mixed up here, he and Kalisto went their separate ways in the draft, we have not really seen much of him since, he was on Raw for a cup of coffee after that, he joined the Cruiserweight division for a cup of coffee, got kicked out of that, he went to SmackDown for a little while, was barely on that show, and then returned to Raw as part of the draft about a month ago. And um, he lost to Andrade three weeks in a row. He lost to Andrade two weeks in a row. Then lost the mixed tag team match last week on Raw when he and uh, Carolina, Catalina, whatever, lost to Zelina Vega and Andrade in a mixed tag team match. But anyway. Um, yeah, so he, he, you know, he lost to Drew McIntyre this week on Raw. And it's very obvious that WWE has zero plans for the guy. And why would they? I mean, the character's been around for so long now. And to his, you know, in his defense, Hunico, who portrays Sin Cara, that has been with the company for a long time, he's been with, you know, at least on WWE TV since 2011, he took over for Sin Cara after the real Sin Cara left, Mystico went to Mexico, um, he got either fired or he left on his own, I'm not really sure what the story was there, um, but Hunico took over for him, and he hasn't really lit the world on fire either with that character, it's just a fucking curse, and, um, again, what becomes of the character now? I would rather just see it be done away with, to be honest with you. Uh, there's no reason to keep putting people in the mask. I mean, they did it with Mystico for two years before switching it over. Hunico has now been Sin Cara for three times the amount of, for, you know, three, um, uh, three times the amount of time, if that makes sense, uh, that Mystico was. He has been Sin Cara since November of 2013. 
That's how long this guy has been playing Sin Cara in WWE. Mystico is Sin Cara for, what, two years? From 2011 when he first debuted up until late 2013? This Sin Cara has been Sin Cara since late 2013, which is six years ago. So that's three times the amount of uh, time that he was Sin Cara. Again, I'm not saying that correctly, but you know what I mean. Either way, it's not really a big loss. Would he go to AEW? Who gives a shit? Probably not. If they sign Sin Cara to AEW, that means they're just scraping at the bottom of the barrel for WWE scraps. Now, granted, they signed Ty Dillinger, but the guy's a lot more talented, a lot more untapped potential than Hunico, Sin Cara. I mean, the guy's good, but far from that good. Uh, and, and Sin is a good guy. I got to interview him here for this show two years ago for his, uh, you know, Reebok line of, like, shoes and t-shirts and shit like that, which is really random. I got a request out of the blue two years ago to interview Sin Cara, and I did. And he was really cool, and the interview came out really good. It came out on uh, HiddenRemote.com, and the audio I put up here on the, uh, not here on the YouTube channel, but on my YouTube channel on Monday morning. But, um, yeah, with Sin Cara, I do think he's probably not going to get his WWE release. Neither will Mike Kanellis, because he got to send a message. Reportedly, Sin Cara had re-signed with the company back in... Maybe March, I want to say? Somewhere around there where he had re-signed the WWE. He declined the report, so I'm not sure if he did re-sign, what the fuck the deal is. But clearly, there is something going on there. Because either he did re-sign or didn't re-sign. Either way, he's not going anywhere. Just because you put out a public statement saying that you requested your release doesn't mean they're going to give it to you, okay? It might help your cause a little bit because people are like, why are you still here if you're not happy? Just let him go if you have no plans for the guy. And I agree. If they have no plans for Sin Cara, just let the guy go. Mike Kanellis, if they're not going to do anything with the guy, let the guy go. But it's also going to send a lesson from WWE that, listen, don't sign a contract if you're going to regret it two months later. Mike Kanellis signed a new five-year deal and ended up going back on it, what, two or three months after the fact? Saying that, hey, it was probably a mistake to sign that contract. Well, you know what, dude? Tough shit. In, w, in, in his defense, if WWE won't do anything with the guy, if they're not going to use him, then yeah, let him go. But otherwise, you signed a five-year deal, you got to honor a contract, dude. That's the way that it works. Sin Cara, same exact thing. So if he signed for the next three years, as had been reported earlier on this year, then he might be fucked. It might be a while before we see Sin Cara ever again. I don't think he's going to be used after this. I know Luke Harper was. That was a special case. And I don't think we've seen Luke Harper since he broke up from Rowan. They only really brought him into use for that story with Rowan. And I know he was at Crown Jewel, but other than that, I do not see them using Harper on SmackDown every week. They're not going to push the guy. I know the Revival's a different case. They really want to have them stick around, and I don't think they will either. As of right now, I don't think they've re-signed with WWE. But in Sin Cara's case, I don't see him going anywhere, which is really unfortunate, because if they're not going to do anything with him, then yeah, let him go. But otherwise, dude, you signed a deal. Why would you say all of a sudden, hey, I'm not getting what I wanted out of this, you probably should have realized that two or three years ago when they weren't doing anything with you even at that point. So honestly, I don't really have much sympathy for Sin Cara in this case just because if you didn't want to stick around and they weren't doing anything with you prior to that contract you signed earlier this year, then why would you think that this contract would be any different? So time will tell whether they will honor his release. I highly doubt that they will. Um, but that will be an interesting story to follow in the weeks ahead. A lot like with Mike Kanellis, who has not been seen or heard from since on WWE TV since he uh, requested his release about a month ago. But that was Sin Cara. We got CM Punk out of the way. Real quickly, Jordan Miles, an update on his situation. I don't think I talked about that here on the show um, a few weeks ago when that story broke about two weeks ago about the t-shirt and all that other shit. 
Um, I definitely went on a rant about it on hashtag AskGSM because, listen, long story short, you know, I, I sympathize with the guy on the t-shirt thing. I get it. I thought it was a dumb shirt too. I could see why it would be interpreted as racially insensitive. Um, but for him to call the company racist and say, fuck you and all this other shit, call Jay Lethal and Uncle Tom, which was completely inappropriate. Even if he does have those feelings towards Jay Lethal, to put them out there publicly was really fucking inappropriate and really uncalled for. So I thought that was shitty. And that was really when I personally lost sympathy for the guy. But again, I'm not going to shit on him too hard just because he clearly has something wrong with him. He's admitted before he has depression or he's dealing with something mentally right now. So it might, I mean, not that it's not his fault um, or not that he really has an excuse to be acting the way that he is. Um, but there probably is more here to the story than we know. That's purely speculation. I think he himself has even said, though, that he suffers from depression and other shit. And that some of the things he said originally were out of anger. And they deleted all those tweets. And then he came back on Wednesday before NXT this past week saying, hey, fuck WWE. I fucking quit. Don't call me Jordan Miles. Don't call me by that slave name. Even though he actually said that he picked out that name himself, you know, earlier this year when he signed with WWE. Again, I'm not really sure what to believe here. Um, um, you know, he had even tweeted out about a week and a half ago that, oh, if I don't hear by WWE later by, you know, by later tonight, there will be hell to pay. And nothing came out of that. And then all of a sudden he flips out on Twitter on Wednesday saying that he quits. So just because he quit doesn't mean anything. Just because a lot of people quit and nothing happens. Luke Harper quit and he's still fucking here. So... Again, the guy signed a contract. If he felt that strongly about WWE being racist, then he probably shouldn't have signed to them in the first place. And I know that's where the money is. And, you know, it's not a new thing. It's not like, oh, I didn't know they were racist until I started working for them. No, because he was talking about the whole Hulk Hogan thing and he felt the way about that. He felt a certain way about them bringing back Hulk Hogan, even though his apology was bullshit. That was a year ago. That was well before Jordan Miles came into the company. So again, if he felt that strongly about you know, being in WWE and all this other shit, a company where they had brought back a documented racist in his opinion, then he probably shouldn't have signed in the first place. But that's where I'll start and end with that conversation just because a lot of it has already been said before. I've already talked about this in the past with Jordan Miles, but I thought I would mention that because he apparently quit on Wednesday, even though I, I highly doubt it's going to go anywhere. With that stuff out of the way, real quick, we'll run down the AEW Full Gear card from Saturday. Overall, a very good show. I went more in-depth with my thoughts in each match, kind of, on hashtag AskGSM on Wednesday, which is why I won't break down every match here. But real quick, the results from the show included the buy-in, Britt Baker beating B. Priestley. Very good match, one of Britt Baker's better matches I've seen since she's arrived in AEW. Um, good, heated, intense encounter, kind of playing off the feud they've had up to this point. Um, Tony Khan was very high on the booking of the feud um, in a post-show media scrum, one of those conferences they do after each pay-per-view, uh, which is cool that they do that, including that Tony Khan's a part of it. Like, you'll never see Vince do shit like that, you know? Um, but he had mentioned that he's played a very instrumental role in the booking of this feud. He's very high on the idea of having Britt Baker and B. Priestley be one of their cornerstone feuds in that women's division going forward. So as a result, I could see this continuing, but a very good match for what this was. Santana and Ortiz to kick off the actual show, beating the Young Bucks in an awesome opener. Um, two teams worked wonderfully together, as only one would expect, given the 
talent levels of these two teams. Uh, very good opener. Santana and Ortiz went over in the end to pick up the victory. And then we saw the Rock and Roll Express get involved afterward. They were nowhere to be seen on Dynamite on Wednesday, but it would be cool to see them wrestle a one-off one of these days on Dynamite. Um, they are facing Santana and Ortiz, our private party, on next week's show, which should be great as a bit of a tribute for the late uh, Matt Travis, who had passed away over the weekend. He was a wrestler with the House of Glory wrestling promotion. Um, Sala Monster talked a lot about him on his podcasts over the weekend. Seemed like a really good kid with a very bright future and a very unfortunate um, uh, death, I guess. A very unfortunate accident that took place in New York City, New York, Brooklyn. I forgot where he's from exactly. Um, I believe on Saturday morning, I want to say. Maybe early Saturday morning, late Friday night. Um, so very sorry to hear about that, but that match will be happening in that man's memory, which is really cool. So RIP to Matt Travis, but Santana and Ortiz versus the Bucks. Great match. Santana and Ortiz versus the Rock and Roll Express at some point could be, uh, equally enjoyable. So hopefully we get that match at some point down the road in the not so distant future. Hangman Page versus Pac. Um, and I mean, they called their, their third match, or their match on Wednesday's Dynamite, the rubber match. Even though they did have that one-off match, you know, before Double or Nothing in England, uh, back in May. So technically, this was the third match. Pac won that first one by DQ. But this was really good. Thoroughly enjoyed this for what this was. Had more time. They were allowed to kind of go out there and, and do their thing. And probably the best of the three matches they've had on TV so far. This was great. Page going over the end, going over in the end in clean fashion. So very good win here. Sean Spears and knocking off Joey Janela um, in the subsequent matchup. Probably the weakest match on the entire show, but it was what it was. Served its role well. Gave Sean Spears a necessary victory. Their feud is not over, as seen on Dynamite on Wednesday. Um, I wouldn't have done the match at all, to be honest with you. I would have done uh, Britt Baker and B. Priestley on the main show, and then this on the kickoff because this didn't really have much of a story behind it. The feud started literally days earlier on, I think, AEW Dark, and then was furthered on Dynamite the next night. So it didn't really have much steam in the ring. It was fine, but nothing too special. Um, it was fine for what it was, but considering the pay-per-view ended up going three and a half hours, actually over that, it ended up going not counting the kickoff show, not counting the buy-in. It went three hours and 40 minutes, which is inexcusable for a pay-per-view that did not need to be that long, that was really not one of their cornerstone shows. I know they're trying to do quarterly pay-per-views, which is cool, um, but they do not need to be doing you know, a fucking pay-per-view that's three and a half hours long. It's not necessary. There's no reason for that. So you could have easily cut this match out and saved it for Dynamite instead, but that's purely my opinion. For the AEW World Tag Team Titles, SCU knocking off Private Party and the Lucha Bros in a very, very good triple threat tag team match. Um, SCU going over in the end, I believe, by pinning Private Party. And um, yeah, just a good match here. It was kind of a spot fest, if anything, but for what it was, I enjoyed it. For the AEW Women's Championship, Rio knocking off Ima Sakura. Not Sakura, it's Sakura, I believe is how you pronounce her name, her last name. Um, but this was really good. One of the better, if not the best, women's match I've seen so far in AEW. Had a legit story behind it. You wouldn't have known that going in because neither of these women, as far as I have seen anyway, have received any mic time at all on AEW Dynamite. But they did at uh, full gear, not in a standard promo backstage interview type of setting, but... Um, with the video package, which I thought was very well put together, kind of documenting their history as, you know, mentor and student. I thought the relationship, that dynamic, really worked well within this matchup. But Rio did end up going over, retaining her championship successfully, so very good match there. 
For the AEW World Championship, Chris Jericho knocking off Cody. Uh, awesome match here that was more based on storytelling as opposed to in-ring action, which I'm glad they did. Um, as you know, if they, if they went for the Iron Man match type stipulation with the judges and all that other nonsense, which ended up serving no purpose, it would have been a fucking mess and way, way too long. AEW already has an issue. They already have an issue with having their matches run a lot longer than they need to. So I'm glad this was, I mean, not on the shorter side, it was about a half an hour long. But I'm glad they didn't go any longer than that. Um, Jericho ended up winning after MJF threw in the towel. He had Cody in the walls of Jericho. MJF threw in the towel. Jericho retains. Per the stipulation, Cody can now no longer contend for the AEW World Championship. Uh, but I thought this was really good afterward, leading to the obvious expected angle of MJF turning on his best friend, Cody. We all saw it coming from a mile away. Didn't take away from the moment in the slightest. I thought it was a great heel turn. If you can even really call it that, because it's not like MJF hasn't been a heel up to this point in AEW. The only times where he hasn't been a heel on TV is whenever he's been with Cody Rhodes, who we explained on Wednesday has been holding him down. He's been been held under his thumb for so long now as his... Uh, as his you know, uh, his student, his mentor, whatever. Um, did I say mentor, student earlier with the Imi Sakura Rio match? Yeah, kind of the same thing here. That Cody wanted to serve as MJF's mentor. And MJF kind of took that as an insult, and he backstabbed Cody when he least expected it on Saturday after his um, unsuccessful AEW World Championship match. So I thought the betrayal was amazingly well done, got great heat for it. One fan even went so far as to throw beer at the guy, which you would think it would have been a plant. They showed the guy on camera. They didn't do a zoom in or anything, but they did kind of pan over a bit to the fan who threw the beer, and you could see that he was probably wasted. He got escorted out of the building immediately after that. So again, was it a plant? Who the hell knows? Um, but it was really funny nonetheless. And again, you don't see a lot of heels get that type of heat nowadays. It's very rare that a type of that you that you see a heel the caliber of MJF who goes above and beyond in getting heat from this crowd and goes above and beyond in making you hate him. No matter how much you love to hate the guy, it's very easy to hate to hate the guy, if that makes any sense at all. In the sense that it's not that I love to hate the guy, I just fucking hate him because I hate his guts. He's a piece of shit. He cost Cody the AEW World Championship. Fuck this guy, you know? Um, he plays his character remarkably well. He gets it. He just fucking gets it. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to that Cody and MJF feud going forward. Because you know that has money written all over it. And then you get to the main event, the non-sanctioned match between John Moxley and Kenny Omega, which I kind of discussed in detail on uh, hashtag AskGSum on Wednesday. But once more, I thought it was a uh, very good match. I enjoyed it for what it was. Did it go a bit over the top at times? Absolutely. I wouldn't really have done that. They did utilize the stipulation well. I, give, I will give them that. Um, these aren't the type of matches I want to see all the time, maybe once in a while, once a year, not all the time. It kind of feels like an indie spot fest where they kind of go above and beyond and putting their bodies through so much pain and, and all this other shit. Um, I'm not a big, big fan of that, but I thought given the background of this rivalry and their history and these type of matches, it worked. It worked for what it was. It made for a very entertaining affair, in my opinion. I enjoyed it for what it was. And Moxley, as he should have, ended up going over by hitting the paradigm shift, a nasty-looking paradigm shift on Kenny Omega on the exposed wood in the ring, which was a great finish. Um, and I'm glad to see that utilized. It's not often you see the wood utilized in wrestling. I mean, Kenny Omega 
going for like a 450 or a Phoenix Splash and missing really should have been it, to be honest with you. Um, anytime anyone hits any sort of a uh, anytime anyone hits any sort of a move on the wood in that ring, it should be game over. Not a kick out and then you hit another move and it's over. Like that's just bullshit. That's nitpicking. But overall, I like the match and it closed out a very good show from AEW. Probably wasn't their best pay per view they've ever done, but overall, I liked it for what it was. Um, I thought the main match is delivered, no title changes, but we also got the return of Christopher Daniels, which was newsworthy after the World Tag Team title match, and um, yeah, I just really like the show. The only real weak match on the show is Sean Spears and Joey Janela, and not any particular match, but the fact the show went fucking three hours and 40 minutes again. If you want to do that with your bigger shows, double or nothing, I get it, maybe all out, full gear, had no business being three hours and 40 minutes long. Shorten your shit up and get the fucking show on the road. Get it over with by 11 o'clock. If you're going to start it at 8 p.m. Eastern time, wrap it up at 11 or near closer to 11. 11.05, I would have understood. 11.40 is, they didn't even start the match until closer to the top of the hour on a, on Saturday night. I know it's a Saturday, not a Sunday. People don't have work for the most part and in school the next day, but it's still, as a fan, it's very... For someone who watches as much wrestling as I do, and I love this show, I'm just getting exhausted. Like, Alexis, prime example, watched the entire show with me on Saturday, not including the buy-in. She had to go to bed by the time um, the main event started, because it happened. It just started way too late. Uh, But again, good match, though. Enjoyed the show for what it was. They really just got to shorten up these pay-per-views, because they're running way, way too long. Um, on that note, before we go any further with the WWE thoughts and NXT review, Raw review from Monday and the NXT review, of, like I just said, from Wednesday, uh, real quick thoughts on AEW Dynamite on the subject of AEW. Uh, Dynamite thoughts from Wednesday night, another very good show from AEW. Probably one of their better episodes, to be honest with you. I thought they did a great job on Wednesday of balancing out the in-ring action and the promos. Not something we've really seen a lot of in AEW Dynamite, on AEW Dynamite since it started. Um, about, you know, about a month ago. It's really been match, 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 and not so much character development and promos and stuff like that. We got a lot more of that on Wednesday, which I appreciated, uh, specifically from John Moxley. John Moxley, you know, uh, put away Michael Nakazawa within a minute, only to cut a promo afterward talking about Kenny Omega, his win of the pay-per-view, and how he wasn't lying when he said that he would beat Kenny Omega at full gear then kind of planting the seeds for his next match, which ended up being accepted by Darby Allen later on in the night, which has, uh, you know, Show Stealer written all over it, as I said earlier about strong Nakamura and Styles at Survivor Series. Um, Alexis and I actually saw that match at a Northeast wrestling show back in June, Waterbury. Uh, It was an amazing match. I think it was a hardcore main event. That was the match where Darby Allen actually handcuffed himself or put duct tape around his arms, or John Moxley did, they did the exact same spot from that match. Darby Allen did the exact same thing in the match with Jericho in that street fight a few weeks ago. But even aside from that one spot, Moxley and Allen was a really, really good match, and I'm really happy to see that match being revisited on next week's Dynamite. But if you want to check it out for the first time, Northeast Wrestling has all their shows available on the High Spots Network, and uh, you can watch that match in full on that show from that show from June, Waterbury, Connecticut, uh, June of 2019. I was there with Alexis, and she even said at that time, it was the best wrestling show we've ever been to. And that includes WrestleMania, Final Battle, multiple takeovers. That's saying a lot. It was a really fun show, specifically for that match alone. But anyway, we also had the Dark Order versus Jurassic Express. 
Very good match. I still don't get the Dark Order. Uh, the gimmick does nothing for me. In the ring, they're second to none. Um, they're very good in the ring, but just as characters, they just bore me to fucking tears. But this was a good match, though. Jurassic Express losing, as always. What else is new? Uh, so we heard from Evil Uno, I believe, for the first time afterward, who offered Marco Stunt a spot in the Dark Order. And before he could accept it or decline it, we saw him reaching for the mask. So I'm not exactly sure if that meant that he was going to contemplate joining the group or if he was just going to toss it down on the ground. I thought that's what we would see. Instead, Jungle Boy you know, interjected himself. Um, and then he took the mask away from Marco Stunt, threw it on the ground, and vehemently denied his offer to join um, Dark Order for him. He denied Stunt's offer to join the group for Marco Stunt. And then before they could retaliate, Dark Order blindsided them, started attacking them, which led to the return, the highly anticipated return of Luchasaurus, who got a great reaction from uh, the fans in attendance. Uh, this was a, uh, a really cool segment. We were told that Luchasaurus, I think he had said over the weekend at um, Full Gear Starcast or whatever, that he actually would not be back in 100% clear to compete until January. Uh, which is not for another two months at the earliest, a month and a half at the earliest. So to see him come back earlier, get physical, and, you know, he was kind of limping his way down to the ring, so he might still be a little hurt, so I'm not sure if he'll wrestle next week. I guess we'll see, but he would be protected in a six-man tag team match, but he got pretty physical here, laying out every member systematically of the Dark Order, which led him to Stu Grayson, who he laid out as well, only to uh, reunite with uh, Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt, to end the segment. So I thought this was really good. Copyright infringement on Best Friends with the hug at the end there. Thankfully, the camera didn't pan out the same way they would for uh, Best Friends and Orange Cassidy, who did make a cameo on this show for doing absolutely nothing in a, in a backstage segment in that brawl with Santana and Ortiz and uh, the Young Bucks. But anyway, good match here, and even cooler to see Luchasaurus back. The guy's an absolute star. Um, you know, I, I, I fear for... You know, Marco's stun I don't really care for, but Jungle Boy, I fear for him when they break up because he's really popular too. Luchasaurus, when they break up, he's going to be a big star. I fear for Jungle Boy, but he's really talented as well, like I said. So hopefully they have plans in mind for both guys when they go their separate ways inevitably. But for right now and for the foreseeable future, I really hope they can uh, work their way up the tag team ladder toward a tag team title shot because these guys would be a great fit for the AEW World Tag Team Title Division. Um, anyway, for the World Tag Team title role as the champions in that division, I should say. Darby Allen, like I said, will be challenging John Moxley on next week's show. He beat Peter Avalon and Sean Spears in a three-way match on Wednesday's Dynamite. Fine match. Uh, Nyla Rose knocking off Danny Jordan. Simple squash, but at the same time, um, I just Nyla Rose does nothing for me. I appreciate the, I appreciate the effort they're putting into getting her over as a monster heel. But for me personally, I just could not give two shits about the woman. She's not terrible, but she's far from great as well. Um, awesome Kong attacking Allie alongside Brandy Rhodes. We kind of saw something similar at uh, Full Gear that I forgot to mention in my review from earlier. Awesome Kong finally re-debuting for the first time in many, many months. She might have been in that battle royal at All Out, but aside from that, we really haven't had much you know, continuation with the Awesome Kong Brandy Rhodes angle since like June or July. So it was cool to see a play out of full gear and on this show here with Awesome Kong laying out Allie, taking a, a clip of her hair. Uh, why? We don't know. But it was, uh, you know, it, it served to get the angle over. It was whatever. But anyway, we saw Wardlow and MJF finally in line here. So even before that, Jericho had come out, bragged about beating Cody at, um, at the pay-per-view on Saturday, only to be interrupted by Cody's music, 
which was uh, not Cody. It ended up being MJF. So MJF comes out, confronts Jericho. They go back and forth about who is the real member of, um, you know, who, who really wants to join the inner circle here. Is it Jericho who wants MJF in the inner circle? Or is it MJF who wants in in the inner circle? And we never really got an answer. They did put the blame on Cody, which reminded me a lot of that Kevin Owens-Jericho segment on Raw from almost exactly three years ago. I rewatched it last night. It's still gold all these years later. Uh, but MJF and Jericho could have been a real cool Kevin Owens-Jericho 2.0. Not really necessary right now, Jericho having his own stable, and it's just, you don't really need to do it. Um, but for what this was, though, I thought it was uh, a great segment, easily the highlight of the night. Um, and then before Cody could really get his retribution on MJF, out comes the debuting Wardlow, who we've heard a lot about for a while now, debuting as the heavy, I, I guess, to uh, MJF. So if he's going to kind of be his bodyguard, I'm all for it, because the guy's awesome. From what it looks like, he has a really good look, and I've only heard good things about him. So I, I like the pairing of MJF and Wardlow. I think it works. We also had the rematch between Adam Page and Pac from Wednesday's Dynamite with Pac uh, avenging the loss from Full Gear and uh, now going, I think, it would be 2-2 two and two if you include the England match from May because Pac won that by, or rather, Page won that by disqualification. So Page won that by DQ, then he won at Full Gear, and now Pac has won on Dynamite twice. So technically they're 2-2. Two and two. I would like to see the end wrap, I would like to see the feud wrap up here. There's no real reason to continue this. Their matches are great, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, though, what more can you really do with these two? Pac ended it victorious. I'm not really sure what the point it was of having him lose on Saturday if he was just going to win again here. Uh, the 50-50 booking I'm not really a big fan of. Um, especially if there's really nothing on the line, and it's not like it's a best of three series or some shit. Um, a very good match, don't get me wrong, not as good as the full gear match. I just thought it was weird to have Pac win again over Page if um, if, if he was going to lose on Saturday. I thought that was strange. I'm not really sure where they're going with either guy at the moment. We then saw the Young Bucks brawling with Santana and Ortiz backstage. Um, good angle. It, it was a nice way of furthering the feud without having them have another match so soon, uh, like Page and Pac. Uh, that preceded this. But this was a good angle. Again, this is where we saw Orange Cassidy backstage, which was funny. And as I mentioned earlier, we're getting Private Party and Santana and Ortiz next week on Dynamite, which should be awesome. And then we got the main event for the AEW World Tag Team Titles. It was SCU knocking off the world champion Chris Jericho and his inner circle stablemate Sammy Guevara in a very good main event. Um, this was very good, but um, I'm just not a fan of the booking. I thought it was dumb, to be honest with you, for Scorpio Sky to pin Jericho. Be the first man in AEW to pin Chris Jericho. Granted, it wasn't in a singles match, um, but I, I still feel like it should have been a bigger deal with Jericho losing for the first time and not in a random world tag team title match. I don't take Scorpio Sky seriously as a world championship contender, at least not right now, as long as he's world tag team champion. I don't really get it. Um... Overall, though, I mean, I, it was a good match. I'm just not a big fan of champions getting pinned. We see this shit every fucking week. We saw it last week with um, Imi Sakura pinning Rio, which was just dumb. Um, I mean, again, I know it's one way of furthering the feud, but I think it's just lazy to have the champions get beat. We see it every week in WWE. Impact has done it as well. Um, I don't want to see AEW fall victim to that same tired trope that every wrestling promotion does constantly. It's such a lazy way of setting up a championship match when you could very easily have a number one contenders match. 
If Scorpio Sky won a number one contenders match, I wouldn't be as upset. Um, but then what the fuck is the point of power rankings if you're not gonna, you know, live true to them? What's the why would Scorpio Sky get a title shot? Yeah, he pinned Jericho, but he's not even in the singles power rankings right now for a future shot of the AEW World Championship. So did those mean nothing because he's not in the power rankings and he's getting a title shot? I don't really get it. But aside from that, though, very good episode of um, Dynamite on Wednesday. Real quick, NXT from Wednesday as well. We saw Leah Rush beat Angel Garza to retain the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. Awesome opener. I thought this was excellent stuff from both guys. Thoroughly enjoyed it. We saw Zia Lee knock off Aaliyah. Definitely the weakest match on the entire show, but still fine for what it was. We had Finn Balor addressing the audience and calling out not only Johnny Gargano, who we found out on backstage will not be in action at TakeOver due to injuries, a neck injury to to, uh, be specific. Instead, he's going to be going one-on-one with Matt Riddle, which should be equally amazing, so I'm looking forward to that. So they set forward that, they kind of set that feud forward in motion here, which was cool, put that feud in motion. Um, That kind of segued into Keith Lee versus Roderick Strong in non-title action, Keith Lee going over beating the NXT North American champion. So there's a very good chance this match could be revisited after TakeOver in a few weeks with Keith Lee going for that championship, which would be awesome. Keith Lee is NXT North American champion. Would be perfect. But um, yeah, great stuff there. Isaiah Swerve Scott knocking off Bronson Reed in another really fun match. Both guys need wins right now, um, but I'm glad they went with the win for Scott just because he lost last week. Bronson Reed won his last match with... um. What's his name? Uh, fucking Shane Thorne a few weeks ago on, on, on NXT. Yeah, 50-50 booking, but it's not with the same people. And Scott is the more over of the two right now. And um, yeah, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from both guys. Isaiah Swerve Scott, they're very apparently high on, which is cool to see the guy's great. He's, he's an absolute star. And then Bronson Reed is also full of potential. So very good stuff here. We were supposed to get Pete Dunne versus Killian Dane. The match never got started due to interference from Damian Priest. Um, he ended up getting uh, you know, involved in laying out Pete Dunne, laying out Killian Dane after Dane laid out punishment, or not punishment, I'm still calling him punishment Martinez. He laid out um, Damian Priest and Dunne last week, so Priest got retribution by laying out both guys again here, uh, probably setting up a triple threat match if I had to guess for the TakeOver show. And then the main event, which was absolutely exceptional, a ladder match. For the War Games advantage for the women at TakeOver in a couple weeks, Io Shirai battling Mia Yim. This was a hell of a ladder match. Probably the first ever singles women's ladder match that we've ever gotten in WWE. Um, I know we had one in OVW many, 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 many years ago, but aside from that, and obviously the women's Money in the Bank ladder matches, I don't think we've ever gotten a women's straight-up ladder match in WWE, a singles ladder match with the women. And this would have been it. And it was amazing. I'm not a big fan of them doing it back-to-back weeks. We're doing, we're getting another one next week with, um, who is it? Uh, Adam Cole and Dominic Dijakovic with the winner of that match, getting the War Games advantage for their team at TakeOver as well. Um, but this was awesome stuff here. Io Shirai and Mia Yim put their bodies through hell, specifically with that finish. Mia Yim went crashing through that ladder at ringside, which was fucking brutal. But Io Shirai ended up winning with assistance from the NXT UK Women's Champion herself, Kaylee Ray, who's been announced as the fourth member of Team uh, Baszler at TakeOver War Games, which is really cool. Was not even thinking about Lee, uh, Kaylee Ray as a um, possibility to join Team Baszler, but I'm glad she did. They have very good chemistry together. And uh, this makes me think after Candice got laid out earlier on in the evening on NXT, 
Could this lay the groundwork for Dakota Kai like being teased as the fourth member for Team Ripley, only to be replaced at the last second by Tony Storm, who lost that NXT UK Women's Championship to Kaylee Ray three months ago, and we haven't seen her since. So that would make sense. Keep an eye out for that. Um, and also to end this episode, we have the SmackDown Women's Champion Bailey laying out Rhea Ripley um, to kind of as a way to um, bounce back after being laid out by. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Sheena on, on SmackDown for the last two weeks. And she also did something similar on Raw this week. And now Baszler came to her territory to lay out Sheena on Wednesday. So very good episode of NXT. I thought NXT was once again the superior show, but both shows were a lot of fun. Great wrestling, great storyline progression, notable moments, really good main events, title matches, Cruiserweight Championship match, World Tag Team title match. Uh, both brands right now are firing on all cylinders. And it's made Wednesdays the night for professional wrestling fans because both shows never cease to impress. They never cease to entertain. And I always find myself looking forward to every single Wednesday night of wrestling. This was no exception. Uh, and that's it. A Raw for Monday I won't. I was going to talk about earlier. We kind of ran out of time here. But um, it was a fine show. They taped it for Manchester. Pretty, pretty dull. It was fine but very forgettable. Um, the Kabuki Warriors retained their women's tag team titles over Becky and Charlotte because Natalia wasn't there, which was so fucking random. Uh, Sin Cara lost to Drew McIntyre. We had the Singh Brothers versus R-Truth in a two-on-one handicap match for the 24-7 championship. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. That was terrible. Uh, Rollins versus Walter happened, which was cool. And then Rollins, Owens, and the Street Profits teamed up to take on Imperium and won. Very good match there. Andrade versus Cedric Alexander. Uh, good match. Well, lasted, but not nearly as long as it should have been. The Lashley-Rusev shit. Terrible as always. Eric Rowan versus uh, Sonor Durson, some local loser. Won in a matter of a minute. Uh, the Viking Raiders knocked off Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. Cool to see them on the show. Very good match here. And then the main event saw Humberto Carrillo, Randy Orton, and Ricochet knock off the OC in the main event. So again, uh, fine show. Very forgettable. Really nothing to delve into too deep there. But we will be back next week here on WrestleRant Radio with the one and only Mr. Marceau, who's going to be back for the first time since August to help me break down the cards for not only Survivor Series next Sunday, but also NXT TakeOver War Games 3 on Saturday. So stay tuned for that right here on WrestleRant Radio next Thursday. Until then, guys, check out new episodes and full episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday, not only at NextDayWrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Podbean, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Play. We're all over the place, baby. So rate the show, subscribe to the show, and um, yeah, just listen. Check out the show every single Thursday on every podcast platform out there. And not only that, but you can find me on the socials as well on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and also on YouTube at YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Graham G.S.M. Matthews. So until next time, guys, have a great rest of your week slash weekend. I'm Graham G.S.M. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.